This is the Used Car Dealer Podcast. Zach here, and we have another great guest on the podcast, Dennis McGinn, the founder and CEO of Rapid Recon, which was recently acquired by Velo. Dennis, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Well, I appreciate your invitation, Zach. I, it's uh, really, really fun, really thrill for me to be able to catch up with you and toss, talk about shop. Awesome. Well, for all the dealers, all the listeners um, on this podcast today, talk about your background. You started kind of as an executive in HP and then eventually started Rapid Recon. What was that story? Oh, uh, you were okay. So you don't start out as an executive anywhere. So uh, right, right out of college, I just, uh, uh, I just graduated from University of Arizona with an engineering physics and an MBA. And so I ended up starting to work for Hewlett Packard when they were just getting in the computer business. And so in Silicon Valley, so I had the uh, interesting opportunity to kind of learn this business and uh, by doing it. And um, I, uh, I was also lucky because people like Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard, they just don't make them uh, again. And so it was a great company, a great culture. And I had uh, uh, some really good bosses there, but I was, I was there for 21 years and um one of the things that I got involved in was the auto, automotive industry while I was there. And uh, we had the president of Ford on the board at HP then, and we ended up building, I had a division that built the Ford Service Bay Diagnostic System. So I, I had a lot of experience from the OEM side with the issues with vehicles, because in that case, it was all about the additional electronics coming into the vehicles and how to get ahead of the failure rates that were skyrocketing at that time because they had no diagnostic tools and there wasn't any ODB2 or anything. They had to, you know, there's uh, the devices were still very analog. So we, we went in and built these systems that went worldwide that would help them decide that the parts they were about ready to throw in these cars were failing or not. And then also let the, the, the manufacturer got, manufacturing guys know back in like in Dearborn what was failing so they could get ahead of the curve. So that was that that was that I got involved with you know BMW and Mercedes and uh Ford, uh GM, Hamtramck, all all kinds of stuff, but pretty much from the from the OEM side. Um but that that was that part and then I left HP after 21 years and uh Went out, ran ran a couple of other companies in different areas, all all uh, really high tech kind of stuff, and uh, that's kind of how I got to to, to starting Rapid Recon. Um, and it was it, I had a couple of people in the dealer of the retail business that I was uh, that I knew, and um, they came to me and uh, said, "Hey, we've got this problem." with knowing what's going on the lot and uh, with demo drives and how often cars are being opened and things like that. And they were willing to put some money into it. So it got me interested. And so we started down that track and, you know, probably the, a good way to, to look at this uh, was that 
um, so, uh, somebody, they, when they came to me, they said, you know, nobody really knows uh, how long it's taking to get these cars ready. I mean, they really don't. We get take these trades and uh, we go out a week later and they're still out there waiting to be reconditioned and, and because there's no accountability. And so that really got me interested because I started to ask people I knew, including folks like Dale Pollack. I, I knew him by then. Well, are people, is this a real problem? Are are people going to 20 group meetings? Like I hear they are and saying uh, it's two or three days and don't bother me. I don't really have a problem. And the answer was, yes, it's exactly what they're doing. Nobody wanted to give the GM bad news to take to their 20-group meetings. So they would just, just give them best case. And that's all he wanted to hear. So they really never uh, had the information until it started to blow up. And uh, so I got in and I helped to kind of light a match to their understanding of how long it was taking them and what it was costing them. So that that was the genesis of, of Rapid Recon was getting in there, finding out that Nobody really knew. They were all just kidding themselves. And and, and it, it becomes self-fulfilling. After a while, everybody's just used to give, hanging out good information, and you just you never, you don't go back you, uh, until something goes really sideways. So, Dennis, discuss what Rapid Recon does for dealers and how the product has evolved since the early days. Sure. Well, I mean, what we do is uh, we, it's a workflow. So, uh, you know, work starts, goes through steps and and ends up being, in this case, uh, sell ready or sold. And there could be a t- 10 steps or 100. I mean, when you're reconditioning a car uh, and you're getting it ready for, uh, for, for a customer's eyes and for reliability and all of, all those things uh you really have to take it through a lot of steps and including things like recalls and safety and 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 all all those things so uh what we do is we uh, we give the people doing the work including the vendors so they're just part an extension of that whether it's glass or bumpers or interior whatever we we give all of them the ability to manage their own accountability and uh in, instead of having somebody else uh decide for them whether they're doing a good job or not in the app that we developed to get to get started in this they now can see exactly what they're what they are is in their bucket uh how long it's taken to do it and when they're done they click something and it moves to the next bu- bucket, and nobody has to have any communication. Nobody has to talk to anybody. Uh, so it all kind of moves along from A to B to C. And uh, and the metrics for that, how long is it taking, uh, is right up there in front of everybody in the upper left-hand corner of the every screen. So you kind of have this these two metrics. One is average days in recon. And the other one is uh, time to line, which is really more from like acquisition to the cars ready for to sell. So that's 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 kind of the the whole picture there. Um, I think that's that that was a starting point, and um, that and, and things have moved quite a quite a lot beyond that now. 
And Dennis, one of the fantastic things I remember you telling me is that you've had former users of Rapid Recon become employees. Tell us about the culture you've built at Rapid Recon. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the right from the beginning, um, we brought people in that had done had done this work. They had been reconditioning managers, and or parts managers, or service managers. And because uh, I knew we needed to be able to advise the customers on what to do. I mean, that that's always been part of my approach to things is you better have experts in here. Otherwise, why would they listen to you? Why would they be interested in, in paying you for uh, giving them advice if you're if you're not uh, talk shop? And I think it's particularly true in this industry where uh you know, the the you're either knowledgeable about your retail business networks or not. And so I don't, you just can't have people that you go outside and maybe they're coming from a different industry. They may be very good at being a customer interaction and things, but this is, this is a very specific industry and you got to be able to talk shop and you have to be credible to these folks, whether you're talking to them on the phone or you're there on site. So, Dennis, what what has stuck with you about kind of building a first-in-category company and some of the initial challenges kind of going to market, building awareness? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big challenge is to get into it first. After, once I understood the problem, once I understood that nobody really knew the real information and it was kind of just self-fulfilling, nobody knew then then i had to find the early adopters out of this thing i had to find the people that were mad because they knew it wasn't right and they weren't willing to let it float by just to make the first service manager or the recon manager feel like they're doing their job so it, it was those people that helped me get this thing started that said i i know i'm not happy i'm mad because i know it's taking too long and people are not accountable and so that was the the entry point. But I knew that it had to move from where it was, which was somebody going around to help the general manager get ready for a meeting, usually a 20-year meeting, and asking people, how are you doing? I mean, they would all give you the, the best case answer. And it had to shift from that over to the individuals that are doing the work, saying, I'm done, being able to push a button on their phone. And everybody gets notified. The car moves and everybody knows what's going on. And and so the only way to do that is to give the people doing the work a way to defend themselves. So there's no finger pointing because that was the, the big thing was there was a lot of finger pointing when things didn't go right. And then so there was a huge incentive for people to, to want to manage their own accountability. And once I got on that, and had the metrics right there in front of everybody, they all started to kind of see, oh, I, okay, I'm part of that metric. And if it doesn't look good, if it's not, if it's not on target with what, uh, what Dennis or Rapid Recon or whatever they think it is, which was initially the five days was the initial target for this to get to, um, then we're not doing the job. So, Dennis, you've written several books over the past couple of years. Your latest is Strategic T-Dale, Time to Line, Connect to What You Expect. Tell us about this book and some of the significant takeaways. Yeah, um, 
this is yeah, you're right. It's book four, and it's it it has come a long way. It's really it's a really good book, and it is not because it's it's mine or has my picture on the back. It really is because uh, of the experience and all the uh, characterizations and stories. It's full of customer examples, real customer interviews as to what they're doing, what how they're using the workflow technology and the, uh, the the accountability, the metrics and the tools and so on to continuously improve their operations. And uh, the connect what you expect is just my taking the the shared metrics to the next level. That's what it is. I mean, it's always been inspect what, inspect what you expect, okay? So everybody in the industry kind of says that. And uh, they don't always know exactly what it means. They they think they do. But I said, okay, I know what it means. And, and we give the people something that they've got on their phones now to say, I'm done. Then they're all sharing that, that, that uh, average days and recon and the time-to-line metric. And uh, then that 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 comes out very much in the book because uh, it begins to systematize the whole the whole idea from start to finish. Um, now we've gone through a period of time when it seemed like it didn't matter how long it took or how much you had in the car, uh, but this is kind of gone. It's kind of the 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 result of COVID and the and the after and the fallout of that where people are paying ridiculous amounts for cars. So everybody was making too much money. I think it's come back to earth now. And uh, uh, the uh, idea of margin compression and competition is is definitely back. But it's never going to go back the way it was with people having lots full of cars yeah. with, you know, always trying to fight keeping everything under 60 days. Um, I don't think anybody is looking... Uh, at at doing that is trying to, you know, have a, a an inventory that's that's a, a heavy inventory. I think they all want to be more efficient, keep that that the uh, the amount of inventory the, down, which makes the reconditioning even more important. The timeline of how how long you can take to say replace a car that was sold and get it back uh, on the front line. So what do you think dealers most often misunderstand about recon at their dealerships? Maybe common mistakes your team observes pre-implementation of rapid recon. Yeah, I mean, you, because change is hard. And in this particular area, uh, you, you've got a lot of people that think they already have the answers or that it's it could be done with a spreadsheet or something, uh, something uh, like that. And, and and they they don't they're not passionate about the same things I am, which is the average days and recon time to line and how it ties all together with everything they're doing all the way through from the acquisition to the uh, to to the reconditioning to the vendor work and um, the safety work and all that and ties all the way through. They when when you get into that thing and you have a GM who it wants to know what how long it's taking. And it, it's important that the GM is interested in knowing and is willing to spend a little bit of time, not a lot, to ask the right questions so that everybody up and down the line on the fixed and variable side, they know that the GM knows 
that that these numbers where they're coming from and uh the gyms that are hands-on more like to be directly involved with the re reviews of how the reconditioning process is improving over time it's always going to be a work in process and uh things are always going to be problematic i mean it, so there's always problems to solve but it but it, it so it's like so the gm in my mind the ones that do the best job are the gms that know what the numbers mean and they're people that are working for them that are taking care of these day-to-day -day issues and so on. They know they know that the GM understands what's going on. So that's that's the big difference I, I see. And you know, some of them just don't want to know because they they don't they don't want to know all the details and they don't need to. But they don't they don't want to get too close to the details. So I my my uh, task is to continue to add awareness to this and bring the the efficiency and the speed of the reconditioning kind of back to the bottom line and uh so because that's where it matters now gms know how to look at parts business and the, the back end the f and i and and uh the, the new car sales and you know they 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 know their business units uh but i think to to a lot of them reconditioning is still a bit of a mystery and uh, they like to uh, e either let somebody else worry about it or wait till something really bad happens before they get really mad and want to fix it. So that's kind of how I see it. So kind of the inverse of that question, what are some of the best practices that you've observed over your decade plus in the recon software space? Yeah, the, the best practices are that You've got somebody uh, leading the charge, a recon manager. It could be a fixed ops director, but typically there's a recon manager that is bird dogging the thing and and is stays on top of the things that uh, that that need attention because uh, because of the dynamics in a dealership of people coming and going, vendors changing, uh, different different. Uh, trends with the vehicles and things there's always a need to do what i know i'm so familiar with back in the in the silicon valley deal the the continuous process improvement matter of fact a lot of this stuff came out of uh, post-world war ii and deming and uh, a lot of the quality control things that ended up coming back into the u.s after 45 and there's a reason that we've got uh, Intel on these uh, and all the semiconductor guys, they they really got, they really got really good at this thing, and uh, so that's the same thing here. That the best practices are that the GM knows what's going on. They're not just delegating this. They they actually can say, okay, I see these average days of recon, the time to line, and I can actually see the details behind this, so I know what questions to ask. I don't have to be hands-on if I know which questions they ask and I know what the numbers mean. And that there is accountability for continually improving those processes because it never it never goes away. I mean something as soon as you think you've got it all right, something is going to need more attention. 
So moving on, Dennis, what are your thoughts on the right to repair and recall disclosure related bills being discussed in Washington in the potential impact on recon management? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm not real close to 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 that. I think that has a lot to do with consumer protection uh, and in terms of the rights of uh, consumers to get their car repaired wherever they want, if, if I read that right. Um, and to me, it's just another thing to make sure the car is, everything is done right. There are no re- outstanding recalls on it. There are no outstanding safety issues. In other words, the car is reconditioned properly and your expectations are, I'm not going to need to take this car somewhere else right away and get it, get it fixed. It's, it, it it's it's already been fixed so i can uh, expect a utility out of this thing and for for the foreseeable future so i that's that's i think that's what it means but um uh and so yeah my answer to that is that if you do your reconditioning right it, that that shouldn't come into play they shouldn't consumers shouldn't need to ha- be able to take the car somewhere else uh, and and it's up to you know if the dealers do this right, then they those customers come back to them, which is what they would they they're trying to do too. So we're both in the Bay Area. We see a lot of Teslas, a lot of EV vehicles. What are your thoughts on kind of the differences, opportunities with recon of EV vehicles? Yeah, I mean, even though there 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 aren't. Uh, fuel burning engines in these things uh they they still need attention uh you know they still have interiors they still have wheels they still have a drivetrain so to speak uh t- they have tires they have all the basics um just it's a simpler configuration uh to work with but you still need mechanics that are certified that are qualified to work on on those vehicles that they know what to do and and at the same time that they, that that having electric motors on one or more of the tires or one or more of the axles and things to propel the car the the other part of this thing the uh, the amount of technology that's going into these cars is just continuing to go up very quickly so these are kind of becoming mobile entertainment centers if you will and so th- that that just puts more things into the vehicle that are bound to go wrong but it's mm-hmm. going to change the context it's it's changing it in the more luxury cars anyway and i think uh, now it's going to come down and 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 yeah the, the it's almost a joke with being here in the bay area as you are and just every stop saw every stoplight i go to has three teslas always <laughs> if there are 10 cars there the three teslas it's just like bing bang bong and and my neighborhood here in palo alto i probably higher percentage i mean the penetration is staggering around here definitely so uh but there are a lot of other opportunities coming into the marketplace you know I don't have a Tesla. I have a lot of friends that do, and uh, I'm not sure that – I think there's a lot of room for other other um, brands to come into this marketplace. Um, I've, not, I've heard things about Teslas that would make me think twice about 
getting one uh, right now uh, because I don't really have the need to commute and you know be able to get a special per, uh, permit to drive in the fast lane. Um, in that case, I I might, but um, I I'm really anxious to see some of the the uh, the new challenging products that are starting to come into the marketplace. I think that's really important. I mean, we'd all like to see the air cleaner. So from that standpoint, mm. uh, I'm in. But uh, I don't think, I, I mean, it, it's going to add a little complexity to the dealers. Uh, they're, they're, they're kind of having to either uh, allocate, uh, you know, have a, one of the stores is doing electric vehicles like I've seen some of them do. But I think they're they're all like Tesla's getting into everybody's inventory. Definitely. So my next question: If you were a used car dealer thinking about scaling your business, at what point should you consider recon software? Maybe it's vehicle sold per month. Like, at what point does it make sense? I used to think it was a hundred, and then it came down, 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 and and so we have some now that uh, use the software when they have thirty cars in inventory. I mean, and are selling 30 cars a month. And, and uh, because just 30 cars a month, when you're selling them all and replacing them all, it's still an, a nightmare if you're trying to do it without a workflow tool. So it's it, it, it 30 is kind of the, the one I've seen and amaze me to see how much uh, what, what uh, happens when you're trying to do volume when you are keeping you're just replacing 30 cars now uh these are you know more franchises than they are anything else but i think 30 is is one but if i were uh, a a group guy or if i were a gm i would definitely if i had 50 or more cars i would mm. absolutely have this but i think it can go down from there but i would i would say 50 uh, and up is a must have to be able to have this thing manage managing itself, so to speak. But also, I mean, you need somebody in our case, we have a champion. Uh, we, in every system we bring on, there'll be a, you know, rapid recon champion, somebody that kind of everybody can go to and that we focus our attention on too, as we're trying to keep them up to date on what's, what's coming down the line. Nice. And Dennis, my last question, what's coming down the pipeline for Rapid Recon in 2023? Yeah, well, it, what, uh, some very interesting uh, things, uh, areas that I've stayed away from because I didn't want to get too close to like customer pay and and, and the, the fixed ops thing because it has a lot to do with repair orders and scheduling and things like that, parts and so on. And uh, so we're going to be going ahead and doing more uh, with that because we've got partner companies like Service Laney Advisor and, and who already are in that business. So we'll be able to uh, work with them to have be able to, to solve some of those problems as well. So we're working on that now. We don't have it all figured out. It'll take a few more months for us to kind of come up with the starting point. But I'm pretty excited because we're going to be able to go into an area we haven't before and we've already got a solution i mean it doesn't all work cleanly together like it came out of the same box 
but it, they're a very strong product in its own right. So we're going to be able to uh, cross sell and do some things like that. And um, that, that, that's, that's fun. It's a, it's a good opportunity. Our customers have all have all those problems. So. That's exciting. Well, Dennis, it's been an awesome episode. I've learned so much personally about recon. So thanks so much for joining us today. No, Zach, I, I appreciate your time and uh, thank you for letting me have a minute on your show. I hope you hope I haven't overstayed my welcome.